we just sponsored and uh, in, in closed uh, a SPAC that we're using to build a super client. We're actually going to roll up uh, industrial staffing firms. Back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today, Scott Absher, is the CEO of ShiftPixie. ShiftPixie is a platform for labor that wants to engage in manufacturing, restaurant, or other forms of industrial service. The company trades publicly. They IPO'd back in 2017, and they are in the midst of raising multiple SPACs to go acquire companies to serve as their clients. If that sounds complex to you, you are not alone. Luckily, I had more than a half hour with Scott to break down all the complexity of his business and how he prepared himself to manage such complexity. If you are a hardcore business nerd, this is going to be something that is right up your alley. If you prefer simpler stuff, it might not be for you, but I'd still say give it a listen because you will absolutely learn something before the end of this episode. Here it is, my conversation with Scott Absher. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Scott, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm excited to be talking with you. Aaron, good to be with you. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, indeed. I want to start off. I, so we have covered so many different businesses on this show, everything from like a, a coffee shop or some business that's just exceptionally simple in terms of the kind of blocking and tackling of how, you know, value is transferred up to the, you know, relatively high complexity. I would say, at least from my vantage point, the research I was doing, Shift Pixie falls a little bit on that more complex end of the spectrum because of yeah. multiple stakeholders, technology, a lot of moving pieces, uh, not to mention the capital structure that you guys right. are kind of in pursuit of. So where I was thinking would make the most sense is to start off by explaining what Shifty, Shift Pixie does, but specifically through the lens of a client of yours. So I don't know if you're privileged to, to, to like explicitly use them, but just to kind of paint a picture for us of what your client's doing and what Shift Pixie is plugging in as a kind of B2B service provider to help them do. That's a great question. And it's a great setup because we, you know, we're a technology platform that manages human capital. Um, and there are two user experiences that we spend a lot of time focusing on. The first of those is that of a part-time worker. How do they connect with work? How do they find work? How do they, uh, they engage with the work? And so that was our starting place. And, and it was really, it, it was kind of uh, in alignment with the birth of the gig economy. As soon as uh, the companies like Uber and Lyft entered the market, the, if you were a brick and mortar operator uh, and uh, you relied on part-time labor, all of a sudden you had a new threat to uh, labor availability and it was all these gig platforms. And that emergence of that technology completely changed the way uh, people uh, wanted to work and how they wanted to engage with work. And unfortunately, um, industries in the U.S. that relied heavily on part-time labor were affected by that. And, um, and none of them were really able to adapt to this new work ethic and the new uh, technology requirements to engage in the new, with the new workforce. 
So we spent a lot of time in our early days thinking about the work week for somebody working part time. How again? How do they? Uh, how do they capture an opportunity? How do they work the opportunity? How do they get paid? What sorts of information would make their life easier and allow them to better connect with work? On the other side of the spectrum, for our clients, we spent a lot of time. Uh, I grew up in the human capital management space, and so our clients were always uh, small to mid-sized businesses, and we would take care of all the administrative duties for and around uh, employees that, that employer-employee relationship. And so we knew that for them, uh, that uh, especially the new part-time workforce, they needed a, a method or a platform where they could actually make better connections. Uh, the, the old tradition of putting up a help wanted sign wasn't working anymore. And so that we provided uh, better tools for them to better engage and manage this new workforce. So again, we think a lot about both of those experiences uh, on, the, on the, the user side and then on the employer side. And so said another way, I can remember, so I, I was uh, uh, an hourly employee. My first job was at a, a bagel factory, or not a bagel factory, Brugger's Bagels. They call themselves the bagel factory. I love Brugger's. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, one of the high leverage or kind of points of consternation in an environment like that is who makes the schedule? Did I get the shifts that I wanted? Right. And set, so said another way, shift pixie is creating more of an environment like the Ubers, the DoorDashes, where someone can say, you know, I ran one DoorDash today, I'm actually done for the day. Or, hey, you know, it's 2 p.m., I want to work tonight. And you can kind of make that decision in in an on-demand style way. It's bringing more of that to a more structured enterprise like a restaurant, which, you know, which does have set hours, it does have a kind of consistent customer demand that's coming in, right. you're creating, would you almost call it like labor liquidity to some degree? Yeah, no, that's a great way to frame it. It's actually a great analogy. It is labor liquidity. It is a, a great way to, to think about it. And again, this is happening for brick and mortar operators, whether they like it or not. And um, the liquidity issue that they, they have, they're, they're in constant turmoil. In just the restaurant space alone, which we, we do quite a bit of business in, the uh, owners of, say, a multi-unit uh, operator of an, under one of the big franchise brands in the country that may have 10 stores, his most valuable uh, asset is, is his manager uh, at each of those locations. And what's happening is are the managers are getting burned out because they are they are kind of at that apex where liquidity is not um, is is not sufficient to keep uh, a shift uh, populated, and so managers have to step in there and do that. And and now those managers are getting burned out. Uh, the other thing that's happening too is uh, uh, in terms of liquidity, especially now in the human capital markets, and I and I always refer to them as the human capital markets. I think it it, it implies about how much value people have in the workforce. But um, you know now with uh, between COVID caused a wave of disruption. We we always say that the first wave of disruption came with the gig economy platforms. The second wave of disruption came with COVID, and people were getting separated from uh, the the work that they had performed. 
and they had a chance to rethink the type of work that they wanted to do. The third wave of disruption was um, when government um, subsidies started flowing and there was no incentive or, or I should say a substantial disincentive to go back to hourly work. And so we're, we're kind of living right now and coming out of that third wave of disruption. But um, liquidity is a, a great metaphor. And now, uh, if you're a business owner, you have human capital liquidity problems, no question right now. And so the other kind of layer of complexity here is if we think about those other platforms, picking up a parcel and moving it somewhere, I'm not trying to throw any shade, but if we're talking right. about like a door dasher is pretty simple. You need a means of transportation, right. but- uh, outside of some, you know, significant disabilities, you're going to be able to pick up the bag of fries or the, you know, the box or whatever and right. carry it from from point A to B. But uh, what the, what Shift Pixie and and you know, think about working in a commercial kitchen type of environment, there are standards, there are regulations, there are trainings that need to happen. It actually reminds me right. of another company. Um, I believe they've just rebranded to WorkRise, but they used to be Rig Up, and it was, you know, basically a liquid labor pool for folks in the oil and gas industry, right. because that's a very kind of specific skill set that yeah, you need to know. Yeah, we know them very well. Right. So, can you maybe draw some parallels there, and some of the, you know, when we think about like who this labor is and what they need to know before they can actually walk in? Yeah, in our early uh, days in our business, we we tend to we verticalized toward the restaurant industry because this population that we look at in the U.S. it's about 28 million people um, that work part time, and um, uh, in that uh, in that world, uh, half of those work in restaurant and hospitality. So we deliberately focused on that because of the high concentration. But uh, what we're getting ready to do with our technology, and uh, this kind of goes to our our, our next uh, generation or next evolution in our business is we're taking that same technology approach and going after the more skilled or, um, uh, you know, the, the, the more uh, itinerant or flexible or temporary labor force that's not uh, moored in uh, restaurant facilities. Um, so we're, we're in fact, uh, we just sponsored and uh, in, in closed uh, a SPAC that we're using to build a super client. We're actually going to roll up uh, industrial staffing firms. And the idea is to take people that have some, some more specific skills, whether it's um, uh, assembly, uh, whether it's um, uh, working in a, a, a food processing facility, uh, whether it's working in a warehouse or logistics operation, those have some skill requirements and some capability requirements that our, our system allows us to match people that have those with the shift opportunities and they can find them in the system where the system actually finds them. And so that's, uh, that's kind of the next generation. It's very much uh, um, uh, you know, uh, allowing us to, to go after those, those skilled work groups. The other thing that we're doing, we actually are sponsoring a, a, a series of four SPACs. The others are, are geared for medical staffing. One of them is for medical staffing. The other is for technology staffing. And again, now we're really getting granular in the, the type of skills, the type of background that need and, and, and matching them to those opportunities in, in real time and an on-demand uh, basis. So let's, before we get into the stacks, because there's a lot of complexity there that we'll need sure. to kind of peel apart. The, just to get clear on the current client. So, so you're referencing the staffing companies as a super client. So would that be different than the actual, like say restaurants themselves that you would be serving? Like who, who is the actual person that is 
compensating shift pixie for their capacity to effectively bring that human capital into the workplace? Yeah, it's always on the uh, employer side. The The burden is on the employer side. Anybody that's uh, working on our platform has no financial burden whatsoever. The other thing that's kind of interesting too, Aaron, about our platform is that it's it is it's a, a compliant employer platform. So, you know, one of the disadvantages for somebody working on uh, one of the other gig platforms is if they're hurt doing their work, let's say I'm a driver for Uber or, or Lyft and I help uh, a passenger that I just picked up at the airport put the, uh, their luggage in my car and I tweak my back or, or, or my shoulder or something like that in doing that, uh, uh, I'm on my own. I'm in, and, I, and if I hurt myself, I, uh, I don't have any recourse. In a normal or compliant employer environment uh, where they're a W-2 employee, um, there's workers' compensation coverage in all 50 states so that if they did have an injury like that, they could be taken care of. So that's part of what we're building into our platform. It is W-2 compliant and it provides that safety net. Uh, and in doing that, it, it, it also, I think we think it uh, builds a little more dignity into the, the part-time uh, workforce as well. So with some of these you know, competitive platforms that we referenced, DoorDash and Uber being kind of the two most legible ones, they have also been relatively aggressive on the labor side of recruiting those characters. So yes. sign up bonuses, like part of their value prop is saying, we have the supply of labor that you need. And, you know, uh, the, the there, there's the metrics about like, you know, someone opens their Uber and their Lyft app. The first thing they're looking at is the difference in price. The second thing they're looking at is how long am I going to have to wait? So having right. that supply of labor on the platform is a really big deal. It what, is. What is, what is your... What is Shift Pixie's role and what are your strategies for getting that labor onto the platform? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. That's, that was what uh, prompted us to, to uh, uh, build these SPACs, to make these uh, uh, strategic acquisitions. Got it. We're buying industrial staffing companies. What we're doing is we've got $115 million that, that we're going to deploy to buy regional uh, industrial staffing companies. So they already come uh, equipped with a full bench, uh, clients, et cetera. And we're consolidating them all to run on the Ship Pixie platform. And, and the, in fact, we'll have that, all, that first one done uh, around the first of the year. And that, uh, that, be, that actually for us, for a, a small uh, publicly traded company has huge impact. Our revenue run rate right now is about hundred million. Uh, as a result of completing this, this first group of transactions, the first of the year, our, our revenue run rate runs up to a billion dollars and throws off a, a net income of 50 million for us. And that's just the first um, uh, vertical that we're tilting up. But the whole uh, thinking behind that was that we, that we had a, a workforce that was already uh, working in the system. And so we're acquiring all of those to, to consolidate this. And, and it goes right to your, um, to your observation about, uh, or uh, you know, Uber or Lyft's uh, suggestion that they have the population to meet the demand. And that's essentially what we're doing. In fact, uh, what's also uh, unique for what we're doing, we, what we've learned in the process of, of building these mega clients is that um, the Fortune 1000 rely heavily on flexible workforces. Um, they, uh, it, it, you'll be, uh, it was interesting for us to see that when we complete this and the dust settles, we'll have uh, uh, gazelle clients out of Silicon Valley that, are, that will be uh, uh, clients. 
We'll have many major big box retailers that'll be clients. We'll have government entities that will be clients and all running on this platform. So, and again, that issue of supply and demand, we're right at the, at the, the crossroads there of you know, meeting the new workforce demands with substantial supply. So you've referenced these four SPACs. I want to take a step back and sure. just make sure everyone has a clear kind of picture and definition of what that means. So there's sure. the conventional, so SPACs really basically got hot. I don't know why they kind of coincided with the pandemic, but over the last two years, it's been a SPAC attack and right. there's all sorts of data to show the explosion of that. But the concept of a special purpose acquisition corporation uh, for the actual function of a reverse merger has been around for decades. Yes. And conventionally, what that means is a SPAC will be formed to reverse merge with a private company, meaning the uh, entity, the SPAC, will raise some amount of funds, and that can be variable from the tens of millions up to the multiple um, hundreds of millions. And the very biggest that we've seen in the last year uh, by you know from folks like uh, Michael Klein, Shamath Palihapitiya, uh, Bill Ackman have been like multiple billions of dollars. Right. And then that uh, basically pool of capital will go on the hunt for a private company to invest that money into, and by uh, making an acquisition with those dollars, take that company from the private markets to the public markets. That's kind of the, the conventional model of a reverse merger. It yep. sounds like, and you've been kind of forth, forthright with this, that's not quite what these four SPACs would necessarily right. be doing. Can you kind of give us a compare and contrast from what I just articulated to the model that Shift Pixie is in pursuit of? Yeah, that's a, a great question. You know, uh, uh, we're doing something very unique. Uh, it's uh, in, in fact, it's a it's a very different use case for a SPAC, and it's actually got uh, a lot of people very excited. This first uh, uh, SPAC that we did, as an example, when we did our roadshow, uh, we were only raising a hundred million in this uh, in this uh, this first deal, and it was over syndicated. There was over three hundred and fifty million dollars worth of interest in it. So. And, and that interest was really driven by uh, when we were on the roadshow talking to people that are normal SPAC participants. They, they said this is the best use case we've ever heard for a SPAC yet. And um, what, what, they were, what they were meaning was that uh, the sponsors' um, uh, interests were perfectly aligned with the SPAC. And it, that usually doesn't happen. A lot of the, the ones that, uh, that we've been talking about they're, they're kind of a one and done or, or one transaction. Uh, it's a very, very transactionally oriented where we're gonna uh, do the, the, the transaction and then we're gonna go. And that's um, for some private companies, that's uh, a little bit uh, troublesome because they're not prepared to be a public company. It's the, all of a sudden there's this rush and this parade to do a deal and they get in there and then it's now what do we do? And so, um, uh, so we're a little bit different from, a, from a, a normal sponsor. We're actually publicly traded. We're actually active in the capital markets. So, uh, you know, for us, we saw this, um, this vehicle as being the perfect way to, um, to build, uh, again, a mega client without touching, and, and actually we can explode our growth without touching our own cap table. So again, it's a very unique use case. And I, I've been an observer of the SPAC market since the early 2000s. There were a handful of smaller uh, uh, banks, uh, bankers in lower Manhattan that were doing these with regularity. And the average deal size at that time was uh, around 20 million. Uh, 
Um, and then uh, one of the later uh, use cases that I that was I thought was kind of interesting was uh, a group of guys down here in Fort Lauderdale that used to work for Wayne Heisinger, who was uh, really the master of the roll up. Uh, they uh, they uh, uh, ran a uh, set up a SPAC, uh, a blank check, uh, funded it, and they went out and bought Jamba Juice. And so that was kind of that was kind of an, another unique uh, uh, use case for for SPACs because. Before they were just smaller vehicles. So uh, now the, the market is uh, steeped with all kinds of activity. There's a lot of cash flowing, but nobody's really doing what we're doing. Uh, you know, one of the metaphors I used in our roadshow and talking to investors, I said, um, I said, the, 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 maybe the way to think about this is if, say, um, uh, Tesla were to sponsor a SPAC and use the capital to acquire, say, Hertz and Avis and get rid of the fossil fleet and deploy Tesla EVs, uh, they would create a super client in that process. And that's that's essentially what we're doing. It's, and it's so funny, we just hear this week, and I've been using that metaphor for, for months now, and then uh, uh, Hertz makes a, a deal with Tesla for 100,000 units. So maybe it was a prophecy there somewhere. Yeah, seeing it into the future. So, so you mentioned there that the, this, that Shift Pixie is a, a publicly traded company. Yes. Um, and from the the Googling that I did, it looks like uh, back in 2017, uh, you did an IPO where the company raised about $12 million and hit the public markets um, as part of that transaction. Can you take me through the decision-making framework to IPO at that point in time sure. for that quantity? Because you know, that number these days is like a decent series A right. uh, for folks right. on the venture track. And this is a technology company. We've had other folks that also skipped the VC track. Can you just take us through your thinking yeah. back then to, to go public and what that has either opened up for you or how that's kind of changed the shift pixie trajectory? Sure. Yeah. When, when uh, we first started the business, we incorporated in June of 2015 and uh, we knew we were going to uh, have to bring in capital to build, you know, start building our technology. Um, and when we did, as soon as we incorporated in June of, of 2015, the SEC came out with a, um, a new um, um, framework for uh, public offerings. It was called Reg A+. And as I got into it, it was clear that it was geared for very early stage uh, ventures, and what they were, the SEC was trying to do is at that time, crowdfunding was accelerating at a very rapid pace. And it was clear that what the SEC was trying to do with Reg A Plus is harmonize crowdfunding with a uh, registered offering to provide investors some protections. And so when we did that, I reached out to a securities attorney friend of mine that uh, that used to work for the SEC. And I said, hey, have you have you paid attention to this? He said, paid attention. I've had a ringside seat. I've been participating in helping them uh, craft this. I said, well, do you want to do a transaction? And, and, and he said, yeah, let's do it. So we were one of the first to do that. And uh, what it was, they, they provided a lot of, of, lot of wiggle room. And uh, it, you still had to go through the track and, and you still had to, to go through the gauntlet. You had to get white management to be white glove by the SEC, by FINRA, by all the auditors, et cetera. And, um, and uh, once you've completed that process, they would let you list. We liked Reg A Plus because the upper end of their uh, limit was $50 million. And that's what we were uh, had uh, targeted on our business plan. 
But as we got in there and we were one of the early ones in, a lot of people didn't understand Reg A+. A lot of the funds didn't know if they were allowed to buy and participate in a Reg A+. So there was a lot of learning that had to take place. And as a result of that, we actually had to reboot our, our IPO and, um, and move it. We were supposed to close in December of, uh, of 16, uh, but we ended up uh, closing in, in uh, June of 17. And, and part of that was to build a, reg, uh, a, a more of a retail syndicate. And, and <clears throat> excuse me. And so we just we uh, what we were able to do is is get the, get the company public with 12 million and then set it up for subsequent uh, additional capital raises. And our business was set up in such a way that we could create an engagement with clients so we could start monetizing the relationship all the while we were building our technology. So it that process worked fairly well for us. Got it. So this all leads me to the question that is really the essence of this show, Scott. What you have articulated is really complex. If you think about on that, once again, that simplicity complex scale, I can remember being 12 years old and doing my, uh, I did a couple of different, like, you know, stands in front of the street of my parents' house, lemonade, uh, drawings that I'd done and so on and so forth. Um, and then after that, I, you know, maybe was selling my time as a soccer referee. Those are very simple business endeavors appropriate for someone in their teens, right? I'm not calling you old, but you've been around the block. You've had some experiences that leads you to now being the CEO of a public company, executing and, and raising capital for these different SPACs, overseeing a, a technology platform. There's a lot of complexity in the business dealings that you have going on. And, and this is kind of an expansive question, but what you know, one or two elements of your past really has set you up to be in such a position? Because for, for the ambitious, it might not look exactly like the structure that you have with Shift Pixie, but as we're all trying to you know grow as people and cultivate ourselves, what were you doing over the preceding decades that gives you the fluency to be able to operate in these arenas? No, that's a great question. Uh, and, and, and I kind of pinch myself because I, I should not be in this position. I'm the least likely guy to be in this position. But uh, one of the things that, that I am is constantly curious and, uh, and I have an unsatiable uh, interest in uh, a lot of things. And I've been a, a participant in the human capital markets for uh, 30 years. And my only uh, voodoo or gift there was to uh, see anomalies and uh, and find and see problems and then uh, use them to uh, uh, to create a, a fix for them and so that's really what Shift Pixie is. It's fixing a big problem that everyone's ignoring, and we found a way to monetize the fix on that problem. But at the same time, I have I have a a, a lot of M and A background. I've built a lot of companies for other people uh, via M and A, and very involved in the capital markets, either fixing companies that were broken and had to be uh, reassembled or that uh, had uh, uh, capital table damage and had to be refixed. And I, I spent a lot of time doing that at the lower level, at the OTCBB level. And in um, all that experience and that collection of experience really prepared me for where we are today. And, and to really simplify it, because you're right, there's a lot, of, a lot of moving parts under the hood. But at the end of the day, what Ship Pixie is uh, one of the largest digital employers in the United States. Uh, and that's our primary target today. But this will be a global enterprise. 
And, um, and, and we've done a, a, a neat job of leveraging and continuing to leverage on our technology and our learning in the business. But it, it, was, a, it was a tough journey, even to this point. It's been, it's been tough, but we're, uh, we're doing very well. We're on the, on the other side of a lot of growth pain. Were those past mergers, were you a consultant, a lawyer, an investment banker? Like what was the, what was the cap you were wearing? Kind of, kind of all three. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an investment banker, but I know their craft. And um, so I, I would, I think of it more as like project management on an advisory basis, uh, where we would take uh, uh, private companies and, and prepare them to uh, to roll into a shell to do a merger. So doing a lot of the the uh, pre audit work, uh, making sure that they were presentable uh, to a, a PCAOB audit firm. So there was a lot of that that uh, workmanship that was going on over those years. So I, I'm imagining now if you're the buyer uh, in the reverse merger sense and not the seller, you probably have a pretty keen eye for what to look for. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we did very, and again, this is from uh, doing a lot of M&A work and trying to uh, simplify it. The way we structured our transactions that, you, that are about to uh, occur uh, in um, in uh, industrial human capital is a, our starting place. Uh, we structured all of our purchases as asset purchases, which you'll see a lot of SPACs that are doing stock purchases. And there's a lot of uh, there's a you have to do about ten miles worth of due diligence work and a lot of um, audit preparation work. <laughs> Many of these these larger firms are probably in a good financial position where they do have audited financials. Usually, if they're venture backed, uh, the venture or or uh, private equity will de- uh, demand uh, audited financials, so they're in a good place to do that. The companies that we're going after are not in that position; they're not not really audit ready. Some are in good a good state of readiness, but what we did is we structured all of our transactions as um, as asset purchases. And what it means is instead of doing 10 miles worth of diligence, you only have to do a mile's worth because we're really just buying clients and contracts and then the the people that will uh, fulfill those job slots. So we're not taking everything in. So that was one of the things that uh, makes this unique. It allows us to to move very quickly, but also, um, uh, you know, uh, we wanted uh, speed. And when you do stock purchases, um, and especially when you're doing a roll-up, it's, uh, you have a, uh, speed is of the essence for us. And so uh, asset purchases and all cash transactions, we're not using any of the, uh, the stock of the SPAC to make these acquisitions. It's all cash. So it's very accretive to the uh, shareholders. Interesting. Well, I am excited to see how this all plays out for the future of Shift Pixie and to see how these different acquisitions impact the, your capacity to build that digital platform. Um, before I wrap things up, Scott, and ask the standard last two questions that we always do, anything else that you were hoping to share today that I just didn't give you a chance to? No, it's good, Aaron. I, I appreciate your observations and the way you, you look at the, what we're doing and look at the world. I, uh, gr- great insights. Right on. Well, uh, if folks want to learn more about Shift Pixie, follow along with everything you guys are doing. Uh, what digital coordinates can we provide people to learn more? Well, they can go to Shift Pixie. That's S H I F T P I X Y dot com. They can uh, our ticker symbol on Nasdaq is P I X Y, and a lot of data there as well. The Pixie one. That's pretty uh, pretty tightly aligned, eh? Yes, <laughs> that's right. Awesome. We're going to link all that in the show notes for this episode. You can find it in the podcast app where you're probably listening to this right now, 
or at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast for every single episode of this show. But before I let you go, Scott, I would like to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. That's a, that's a great one. And I've got a great one for you guys. Um, you know, this work a group that we're, that we're uh, taking care of, that we serve in the U.S., is, uh, is the, 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 uh, the ignored uh, population. People that are working part-time are the same type of people that are handing you your coffee at Starbucks, that are, uh, that are handing you your, your, uh, your uh, order at uh, McDonald's. They're all around you and they serve you, but they are completely ignored. And what I would encourage you to do is let them know you appreciate them and you appreciate the work that they're doing because it's a thankless job and everyone ignores them. But please don't ignore them. We're trying to our ship pixie's trying to bring uh, uh, dignity to, to part time labor. And part of that dignity comes through appreciation and, and today's labor market where it's hard to find anybody. Please thank them. Just take the opportunity to thank them for, for coming to work and, to, and, to, and that they and for serving you. Even a kind smile. I know that, that you know, some yes. people are still wearing the masks, but kind eyes, a kind smile yes. makes us all feel like we're a little bit more of a community and not these right. atomized automatons moving through the world. Yes. That's right. Exactly right, Aaron. Beautiful. Uh, well, Scott, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks. Good to get to know you and I appreciate the opportunity. We just went deep with Scott Absher. Hope you're not there. Has a fantastic day. Thanks, Aaron. Hey, thanks for listening to the end of my conversation with Scott. If you enjoyed this, I think you'd also enjoy hearing from Keith Harmon. Keith has been an advisor to restaurants and other food service industries for a very long time and has so many insights about how to better run those businesses. I've linked it in the show notes to this episode. Go check it out and hit subscribe because we've got a bunch of great episodes coming soon. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.